0: Hello everyone. How's everyone doing? This is Auru Sanchez with
1: Aliza Sanchez. I almost said Abramson just now. Uh, oh
0: my god! Everyone who's listening, Abramson is her maiden name. She is taken. She is my wife. Don't don't you guys try to do anything sneaky. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> but I hope every single one of you. Hope everyone's having a great day. Today we're doing things slightly different. Um, how do I say this? We have some a very special person on yeah. today's podcast
1: really cool guy guys
0: yes and we know that a lot of you out there especially now during these times especially these covet times we've seen that a lot of you have either asked us questions about business you guys want to start your own business you guys have ideas but don't know how to get started how can you have a side hustle like a lot of these questions have been coming down on our instagram and our youtube and people have asked us on our podcast and we appreciate that so we decided to bring someone who definitely has way more experience that Aliza and I put together, someone who is in the middle of starting this revolutionary company. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't want to. I don't want to give everything away. His name is uh, Ezra Goldman. He is the CEO and founder of this company called Upshift, which we will uh, very shortly uh, start to explain and go and go more and um, more in details on. We really, we're really, very excited, and I hope you guys are so excited to listen to this podcast. And of course, guys, please, guys, whoever's listening to this, like this video, like this audio, share it with your friends, send us your comments. We would really, really appreciate it. All right, guys, so now we have here Ezra Goldman, CEO and founder of Upshift.
2: Hi, thanks for having me on. This is super exciting, and uh, looking forward to telling you the story of uh, what we're what we're building, how we're reinventing uh, car leasing and car ownership in cities, and uh, what what our current challenges are, and a little bit about our, our how we kind of got here and where we're going. Oh, you go.
1: First of all, thank you very much, Ezra, for coming on. We really appreciate it, especially during this time. I think that our listeners could really take it in because of all the businesses revolutionizing right now. I think entrepreneurs are getting kind of like a step up with corona and so many businesses having to change so I think they could really benefit from hearing your advice right now. But before we get started, do you think you could tell us a little bit more about Upshift? What does it do? Um, what brought you to Upshift and how it all came to be?
2: Sure, Yeah. Upshift is a fractional car leasing, a fractional car subscription program uh, essentially, the problem that we're looking to solve is that a lot of people in cities—they're uh, you know doing different things to get to work as their daily commute—but they still need a car for uh, you know running errands or getting out of town on the weekends or maybe going to a business meeting, something like that. Um, and uh, you know, we thought it was kind of a, a waste for people to be buying cars that they basically just move for street sweeping once a week uh, and, and maybe a, a few times a month beyond that. And, uh, you know, obviously there are uh, car share platforms out there that have been there for many, many years in some cases. There's ride share, there's scooter share. And so, you know, the first question might be like, what's different? Like, why is this, why would you try and go after this? Um, You know, and and it came from a fairly simple observation, which is that despite all of these things that are all touting to, you know, be the the death of car ownership, um, there's still so many cars on the streets of San Francisco today. There's something like, uh, by my estimates there's something like 270,000 cars just in San Francisco that are basically just sitting there like literally 6 days out of 7 every week like they're not even being driven to work nothing they're just getting taken out of town on the weekends or maybe you know doing an errand here and there and uh, uh those are the cars that we want to replace because there's also about 270,000 on-street parking spaces in San Francisco and so if we can uh, eliminate or replace those Uh, we could actually free up that underutilized uh, street real estate to make space for slow streets, bike lanes, bus lanes, wider sidewalks, cafe seating, whatever. Especially now during COVID, you want more cafe seating, right, for outdoor seating. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole bunch of different, uh, you know, bikes are really booming. So there's a bunch of uh, uh, different uh, usages there. And and, um, that's kind of our our mission and vision. And um, what we really saw in the existing landscape was just that existing options are really very expensive and very inconvenient. And so you're kind of, if you're one of these people who are driving a few thousand miles a year, you're basically looking at uh, very expensive, very inconvenient uh, recurrent use on a car share platform, or you're looking at owning a car and then paying for car payments, being locked in for three years plus, uh, you know, dealing with street sweeping or an expensive parking garage, car insurance, maintenance, repairs, all that for a car you're probably going to drive once or twice a week at best.
0: So then, okay. So then, uh, if someone were, were to ask you right now, after hearing this, and they asked you, "Oh, so this is like just another Uber, correct?"
2: Uh, right. So let me let me get into what exactly it is. So uh, you subscribe based on how often you drive, and whenever you need a car, you get a uh, Prius or a Rav Four Hybrid delivered right to your door. Uh, we do have our own fleet of vehicles. They're all identical vehicles down to the white color, spec, and trim, so that every single time you get in the car. Uh, eventually, once we're in multiple cities, you know, you could be in New York, San Francisco, Chicago, wherever you are, and get in the exact same car set to your personalized preferences, uh, you know, know who you are and know what you like, and it would be exactly the same car or feel like the same car uh, wherever you are. So it's kind of like a two-car garage in your pocket. Uh, you know, you can swap out between the Prius and the, and the RAV4 whenever you like and, uh, uh, you know, feel like you're getting the same car each time. So... Uh, Yeah, and then you get a certain number of days. You can sign up for four days a month, eight days a month, or we have a new commuter plan Monday through Friday. Uh, You get a car Monday morning, keep it until Friday, drop it off uh, uh, Friday night, and then get it gassed, cleaned, and brought to your door again Monday morning. Um, So we take care of all the headaches, right? So we take it in for repairs if it gets damaged. We take it in for service every 5,000 miles. Uh, We gas it in between bookings. Now with COVID, we're delivering it disinfected, not just cleaned. Uh, so you never have to worry about, you know, who touched the steering wheel last. Uh, you know, so it, really all you have to do is just get a car and drive to where you're going. And then when you're done, you can just return it anywhere in the city. Uh, we just, as of today, uh, installed our first uh, new hardware unit. So you can lock and unlock the car door using an app. You don't even have to meet anybody. Um, and uh, we're in the process now of building out our member app so you'll actually be able to locate the car, unlock the car, Uh, get in the car and drive it and then when you're done you just lock it through the app walk away and you're done and you you never have to uh, meet any of our concierge
1: wow i remember when Aurus first told me about upshift i was just kind of like wow what an amazing idea because we both live in new york city but we don't own cars just because it's such a hassle and this would be Uh such an amazing thing like just the other day i was like we should go for a hike but we don't have a car so it's like do we rent a car do we do this and this would be like the perfect solution for so many urban people um and it got me thinking like what gave you the idea of upshare like was it a specific memory or was it just like an overall evolution of ideas
2: I would say it was an evolution more than like a sort of aha you know uh, moment um you know I I've been in the shared mobility space about 20 years I co-founded a dockless bike share on my college campus back in 1999 Uh, I worked on a shared uh, folding electric scooter uh, with Piaggio at the MIT Media Lab back in 2006. Mm So, you know, I've worked on peer to peer car share in 2008 and uh, autonomous ride share in 2011, and, you know, just a whole bunch of different projects. And so this is kind of just an evolution of okay, uh, imagine at some point the cars will be, you know, autonomous and they'll just, you know, you'll hit a button, the car will show up at your door. And nobody will own a car because they'll just be subscribing to mobility as a service, and you know they'll be doing scooters and shared bikes and all these other services as well. But sometimes you're just gonna want something that's, you know, a, a big four-wheeled object that can you know take you to Tahoe and back, and that's just not gonna be a micro EV uh, that that takes you across the street to the, you know, down the road to the restaurant. Uh, it's gonna be a different vehicle, different operations, a whole different you know uh, service and experience, right? So that's that's kind of the the space that we're operating in, and then, um, you know, we really uh, uh, started out the business thinking that uh, this is back almost a decade ago now. The initial idea for the company was uh, to do a co ownership model. You know, so could you and I co own a car together, or maybe you know five friends co own two cars, or however you want to structure it. Uh, and it just gets really complicated really fast, as you can imagine, right? Like you want it and I want it at the same time what happens when there's a damage or, you know, car's not as clean as you want it or, you know, where do you park the car was another big challenge. And so we really realized uh, uh, after talking to a number of people that, you know, it needed to be managed by a central authority. You needed to have a central fleet manager that was professionally taking care of all these cars. You need a bunch of cars, not just one, so that you can manage availability. Um, You need uh, delivery actually kind of, that came out uh, not because we thought delivery was, you know, sort of be all end all so much as it's just a way to solve our operational problem of like, if a lot of different people want these cars, uh, how do you best optimize the, the availability of those cars? And uh, the delivery was just a way to uh, service as many people as possible with as few cars as possible. Uh, because and to, ma- and to maximize your availability, maximize your utilization off the fleet, it also has some other operational. Uh, solutions around, for example, uh, minimizing uh, damage losses. Uh, uh, you know, you can, um, you know, in gas, it, you can clean it, you know, you can reduce a, lot, a whole lot of friction points that exist in other in other service models. Um, and so, we initially realized that it would need to become a subscription service, mm-hmm. uh, but we didn't know what that would be or what that would mean or what kind of usage people would have or how they'd respond to that. So we said, okay, let's just start with a pay-per-use model, uh, you know, and just start getting some data, start seeing how people use it. And so we launched a pay-per-use model. It took us a couple of years to get uh, angel investments, uh, uh, car financing, and insurance all lined up. At this. They literally had to all happen in the same month. Like we had sometimes where like, we got the insurance policy in place, which took like six months to get like a custom insurance policy. And then, and of course, nobody wants to insure us because we have like no money, no nothing. We're just like, we want to do this crazy thing. And they're like, Mm -hmm. you can't get like, you know, $20,000 worth of insurance for some crazy new idea. You don't even have cars yet. You know, so we had to like convince like one of only a handful of insurance companies to even work with us. And we had to go like find angel investors to pay for it. Then we had to go and find uh, someone to give us like $100,000 worth of cars just to like get off the (laughs) ground.
1: Okay, get the cars, man. I
2: was like, "Hey, I want to get like five Priuses." I'm like, all right, well, that's one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. Do you have money? No. Okay. Well, can you finance it? Well, you know, it's basically like another investor, right? Mm-hmm. And so we had to get all we had to. They're basically like lining up three completely different types of investor, effectively. And uh, we had the insurance policy at one point, and they you have to buy in the insurance policy within thirty days. And these are not like you know hundred dollar policies. This is like twenty grand. You have to like put it like just put down like cash money and so we had one of them expire and then it took us like another like six months to get another one from another company and the broker got all pissed off and like you know it's just like really complicated business to just get off the ground
1: Mm
2: -hmm. um and uh yeah we ran it with like pretty much shoestring engineering shoestring everything for a couple years um we uh pivoted eventually you know we were doing all sms based bookings with like our uh back-end booking software that we had built uh, and we had um, uh, you know two years ago we pivoted to the subscription model we got some investment from uh, Mini, which is a BMW subsidiary in a company called Urbanus mm. uh, they put in a, a basically went through an accelerator program uh, and uh, that calls urban X and and they really helped us to kind of reposition the company as a subscription uh, and we basically fired like every single one of our pre- previous customers. And people tend to be like, oh, what's the difference? Like, you know, you pay like a couple hundred bucks a month, you get four days a month worth of use, like, versus just paying like 100 bucks a day. Like, what's the difference? But like, it's actually a completely different user base. Mm-hmm. And we we literally spent like an entire year just like offboarding like everybody who we had served for like the last two years. And then like onboarding like a whole new group of people, and then trying to figure out like, who are these people? Like, why are they different? How do we like market to them? We changed a whole bunch of things about our operations model. So we moved almost uh, entirely to a self-service model where we don't meet in person, we drop off the car in person, pick it up at the end uh, you know, using the technology. And that's um, uh, really streamlined our operations. So, uh, you know, we don't have to, like, wait around for someone to, like, come downstairs. They're running 15 minutes late. They don't see your text message. Like, you know, just all that kind of stuff, like, just mm-hmm. uh, did away with And we could do that because we had built relationships with people over, you know, week over week giving them a car again and again. And now we're at a point where they tell us if there's damage on the car. You don't even have to really look for it because they're, they're like, coming out and saying, hey, you know, sorry I hit this thing. Like, you know, tell me what to do. Um, and that's completely different from people... When we were doing pay per use, for example, where uh, I had one member, I delivered a car to his daughter when she was literally in labor, delivered again to her when she was coming home from the hospital after having given birth. Her father comes like three months later and wants to visit, going down, going down to Monterey for like you know a day. I'm like, all right, fine, we don't really do this anymore, but like you know, just because you know uh, your situation, <laughs> I'll let your dad take the car. Up. Guy goes to Monterey for a day, comes back hits the curb literally on the way back to dropping the car off. I can see the paint on the curb. And I was like, yo, I have a picture of you dropping this car off this morning. Here's what it looks like right now. Here's the paint on the curb. He's like, oh, I didn't do it. Oh, man. I was like, all right, that's it. I'm done. I'm not doing pay-per-use anymore. I don't want to deal with you people. <laughs> you know, the guy goes back to Ohio. He has no relationship. You know, and, and so now we now we have the exact opposite. It just happened, you know, a couple of days ago. Some, some one of our members hit a curb, and she wrote us right away and said, I hit the curb. How much is it? What do you do? So uh, anyway, so that's kind of where we're at now. We just uh, relaunched a, uh, our pricing a little bit. Now there's a, a $750 activation fee, and then we dropped all of our monthly pricing to make it more like a lease. And so we started getting our first uh, 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 people signing up on that, and that's been super excited to see, kind of see how that shifts.
0: So then, so two things, so just for everyone, so the, the second thing is a question for you that... I'm gonna ask you. So, just for everyone who's listening out there, and tell me if I'm wrong, Ezra. So, uh, the way, like, the pricing model for for Upshift works is that in order to get this two car this two garage, uh, uh, you know, uh, these two cars in your pocket, right? As as you say, right? Either the Ford or the Prius. In order to activate it, you pay a seven hundred fifty dollar activation fee, and then if you want to have the car, either four days of the month eight days of the month or a Monday through Friday, there's different pricing models, but you correct. first pay the 750 and then you pay the monthly, depending on how many times you want to use it of the month, but it's not so expensive and it's cheaper than buying a car and cheaper than actually leasing a car. Am I correct?
2: That's exactly right. Yeah. Thanks for spelling that out. Sometimes I, I gloss over what seems obvious to me, but it's obviously not a <laughs> you not initiated. So, uh, yeah, it's uh 209 for four days, 389 for uh, eight days and uh 549 for Monday through Friday. Uh, sometimes people will think that's kind of expensive, but it includes uh, all your taxes and fees, you know, your registration, maintenance, insurance. uh, uh delivered to your door every day. Uh, yeah, insurance, you know, we have a, a really nice uh, $300,000 liability insurance coverage that comes with the car. So it's it's uh it, it, you know, and we gas it and we clean it for you whenever you, you know, get the car. It's, it shows up in a really nice condition. So um, you know, it really, just takes away uh, all the free- and especially in a city like New York, uh, mm-hmm. you don't have to deal with parking. So
1: that's that's, like, that's a big like deal. Like in San
2: Francisco, it's like three hundred fifty bucks for a garage every month. That's that's, that. a, that's average. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, you can park it on the street, but then you're if you miss a street sweeping day, it's a ninety dollar ticket. So, um, you know, you can you can easily get one of those every month. So, uh, it, it's definitely. Uh, you know, up. by the time you pay for like one ticket a month and your car payment and your insurance, you know, you're it's like you're paying a lot more than you're paying us.
0: So then okay, so okay, so now that we were able to understand that a little bit more, uh, a couple minutes ago you mentioned and I and everyone who's listening also also heard it, you you were mentioning all these crazy things like getting money from angel investors. Um yeah. you had to raise some money here, you had to Uh, get a couple cars that cost a lot of money. You probably didn't have the money at the time. You had to convince other companies you had to do this. So there was a lot of difficulties. Now, my question to you is, what is it, right, that you have, Ezra, that you have, like, like, uh, I want to say trait-wise, right? What is it that you have that you can talk about and maybe tell the audiences who are listening that these are probably certain qualities, certain traits that you need to have or if you have, you have a better chance of succeeding as an entrepreneur, either in a side hustle, building your own company, whatever entrepreneurship, but what are those traits that, that you've been able to hone and build within these years right. so that you've yeah. been able to achieve your, your, your goals?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a tourist, so I'm kind of a bullish guy to begin with. So, you know, my, my sort of uh, general uh, model is. Kind of slow to start, but once you get me started, like it's almost impossible to stop me. So it took me like a number of years to really convince myself first that this was actually uh, th- that there was a there there. Uh, you know that that actually took a few years. Uh, you know, my wife had to kick my. I was actually living in Copenhagen with my now wife and uh, doing a PhD studying why people ride bicycles in Denmark. And uh, why do
1: they ride bicycles in Denmark? Because it's easy. <laughs> I mean, I could give you the long-winded answer, but, like, that's basically the
2: answer to any answer. If you ask me why people do anything in the transportation space, because it's easy. That's really the end of the day. Like, whatever is the easiest thing to do for whatever trip you're trying to make, that's what people will do. And you want to not die, and you have to be able to afford it. But and, And your friends probably shouldn't think you're crazy for doing it. Like, those are. that's pretty much what it boils down to. But, like, if it's not easy, like, forget all the other stuff. And if you're gonna die doing it, forget all the other stuff. And if like your friends all think you're a nut job, like that's not gonna help. And if you, you, it's like five times more than you have in your pocket, you're not gonna do it either, right? So it's, it's like, there's no rocket science here. Uh, you know, you make it easy, you make it affordable, you make it safe, uh, people do it. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I was doing that project and, uh, 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 you know, basically I had to like drop out of my PhD and like come move to the Bay Area with my Japanese girlfriend who had no visa, I <laughs> had a Danish visa, but had no US visa, who had never even been to America. And she was the one who was like, No, 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 you got to go do this. You keep on like talking about this all day, every day. You need to like, you know, drop out of this PhD and, and start this company. Wow. And at that time, we didn't even know what the heck it was. Like, we didn't even have like a, it was still like just this very nascent idea. Um, we just knew there was something there that we kept on kind of working. I, I probably have like, a dozen notebooks of just notes because what I did in the early days is I just like went on LinkedIn and I was just scouring like anybody who looked like they had like some insight in the space I would just like hassle them on LinkedIn and just be like hey let's connect it sounds like you know something about like you were doing operations at Hertz for 20 years like let's talk I want to understand like what what the challenges were there and how we could improve things you know and some of those people became advisors uh you know uh, uh, and now i have just this massive network like within like the automotive car rental car share industry insurance telematics anything, like anything connected to this company uh, but i just was just sort of like a, a nonstop, endless hustle you know and, and i would say like sheer grit and determination you know just like i'm just really motivated by the problem that i'm solving every day and uh you know for me it's like i'm trained as an urban planner and so for me, it's like I, I have like a passionate like uh, vision for what I think our cities could be, mm. and I see what they are, and it's like you know it's just these like car dominated like you know just kind of terrible wastescapes where it's like you've got somebody paying thirty five hundred dollars a month to live in a one bedroom apartment in San Francisco, and they're paying eleven dollars a month to park the car in front of the house, and it just sits there all day. And it's like, you know, you, you know that that could be put to better use in terms of space. And you know that like, it's not even serving their needs all that well to have that car there. And it's just like, there's this whole like, uh, uh, you know, and, and you can kind of see what's coming down the path of like, uh, you know, electrification, automation, connectivity, new vehicle designs, new business models. And it's like, look, like it's all going to be on your phone or whatever comes after a phone. It's, you know, like a microchip in your head or whatever it is next. But, like, you're going to just have a bunch of different options. and you're going to just pay, like, a mobility payment every month. And whenever you need different things, they'll be available to you. And it'll all be integrated into one service. And it's, like, that's what's going to get us, you know, to the postcard society. And it's just, like, okay, what's missing? Everybody's focused on this, like, last mile, like, you know, two-mile trip within the city. That's great. There's a hundred ways to do that now. Um, But as soon as you want to go for a hike, you're a host. Like, it's just too bad for you. (laughs) Like, So...
1: Um, I actually want to speak about that a little bit more if you don't mind, because I was reading sure. um your article the other day and you mentioned a line where cities would stop being for cars and they would be for people exactly. Um, I kind of wanted to like delve into that a little bit. Like what could this city that you're you're thinking about be like? because I think a lot of people yeah. like in their head they do kind of like a shortcut of a solution by saying like, oh, public transportation, right. But that still yeah, incorporates cool. like the whole idea of it being for cars. So how do you picture yeah. what this city could be like?
2: Or cities, or cities. City, yeah. I mean, you know, every city is like uh, a little bit different. In, in but you know, generally speaking, I would say, especially for uh, you know, higher density cities. Uh, you know, and I'm talking about like Boston, San Francisco, DC. Obviously, you get out to like the Phoenixes of the world. I think that's that's a somewhat different problem. And uh, but you know, in terms of, of your sort of uh, larger scale cities that currently can operate transit, let's say. Um, you know, the first thing I would say is just walk outside your door, wherever it is that you you are, and look down your block. And chances are, if you live in anything that somebody would call a city, you probably have, you know, 20 cars, you know, within eyesight of, of your house, right? And the first thing is, like, why are those cars there? Like, literally, why are those cars, like, they're taking up so much expensive real estate. I mean, depending on how you calculate it and which city you're talking about, it's like 20, 40, sometimes maybe even 60% of our, of our space in wow. cities. Now, obviously that's an aggressive way, to, you know, it depends on how you calculate and everything, but they're taking up a big chunk of our, of our physical real estate, right? The first question is like, ima- just imagine like all those cars gone.
1: Step outside ahead. your door and be like,
2: imagine none of these cars parked on this street are here. Well, now what does your street look like? Well, now it's twice as wide as it was before. The first thing is, like, well, am I just, like, putting in two more lanes of space for cars to drive on? Well, probably not. Okay, well, what if, like, those cars are replaced with smaller footprint vehicles, whether that's a bicycle or a scooter or some kind of new pod car like what Google was developing a few years ago that seats two passengers? Um, you know, there's all kinds of different new vehicle uh, uh, designs that are coming out, right? Um, and so, okay, so maybe I don't need a full lane width. To, to even, you know, get from A to B. Maybe I only need half a lane because I'm putting it in for a scooter or a bike or something or some other new vehicle that doesn't even exist. Okay, well now what if those vehicles are a- autonomous and they're connected and they're talking to one another? And so now I don't need to have three cars between every car in order to, like, uh, uh, not hit each other because they're all, you know, connected and talking to each other and they're, they're, they don't need that much space because um, they're not going to hit each other because they're autonomous, and then they don't need to be as wide or as big, because uh, all I need is something to go two miles across town, and then when I want to go to Tahoe, I'm going to call up Upshift to get a RAV4 and, you know, zip off to Tahoe, and then when I get back into the city, I'm not. why the heck do I want that car in the city? It's a horrible car to have in the city, right? I'm never going to drive that car in the city. I'm going to drive something that's super small footprint. So now I have something smaller footprint, that's electrified, that is Uh, uh, taking up less width and, uh, you know, it's only carrying probably one or two passengers, and it's, uh, and I'm going to say just one, I mean, there's a hundred different vehicle designs, you know, there could be, you know, one, two, four, you know, six, twelve, but, you know, they're going to be something that's more right-sized for what it is you need, right? So you could carve up that same street into um, not just, two lanes or four lanes but maybe it's like six lanes or eight lanes right of, of different things that could be traveling through that space and each one could be uh, a different width it could be optimized for a different class of vehicles that are going at different speeds um, so that's that's the first thing and then there's there's obviously just like more bus uh, stops more uh, rideshare pickup zones uh, uh, space to put your bike share uh, racks uh, uh, just widen the sidewalk and put a tree there. Like, I mean, there's literally a hundred things you could do in that space that would be better than than uh, parking a car there. I mean, there's there's a really cool uh, uh, kind of activist movement that started here in San Francisco a long time ago uh, called Parking Day. And uh, every year uh, they basically just take some parking spaces and, you know, pay the meter for a day and stick whatever they want there. You know, there's put out some, you know, some some uh, fake grass and a couple of lawn chairs and a croquet course and like you know just hang out there all day and just be like look like this could actually be a park and you've actually seen over the last you know decade or two since they started doing this that this has become a global movement and here in san francisco and i think in new york some other cities you've seen uh, the parklet movement really take off where people are literally saying okay this used to be a space for one or two cars we're going to take away this parking space we're going to convert it into a park with like cafe seating uh or we're going to turn it into bike share racks or we're just going to extend the the sidewalk and slow the traffic in the street because it's going to be a little narrower and harder than maneuver. so it's just like a, literally a hundred things you could do but the first thing is you have to get those cars off the street and when i went and interviewed you know hundreds of thousands of people and said why do you own this car and said you live in san francisco you live in new york why the heck do you own a car every single time the answer was i want to leave the city it was a never once that I get an answer of, oh, well, you know, I, I need to go two miles and I'm, like, too lazy to walk or take the bus or ride a bike. Never. It was always like, well, there's this thing I want to do that's outside of the city and it's really hard to do without a car. So I have a car and it just sits there and it's a pain in the ass. You're like, oh, well, that's probably not a very good <laughs> use of anybody's resources.
0: <laughs> Interesting. And I, and I know I know you have this fascination for cities. I'm, ju- I'm just curious. what's What's your favorite international city and what's your favorite… Oh national city and why
2: that is a great question i uh well so i live in oakland i love it there uh you know i i um i have uh, so i I guess i would say i'm biased to to oakland because uh, that's why i'm there um i think it's a a really great city um san francisco has been changing a lot uh so it's, it's kind of a different city than it was when i got here 10 years ago but it's also really nice i used to live in uh, portland and i thought that was a fantastic city especially the transit network there it's just unbeatable in america i've never mm. i've never been in a city in america that actually has like buses that run on time wow. like they have like a functional like transit network where you can get to like anywhere and you can you can be like i'm gonna get on this bus and i'm gonna go to my nine o'clock meeting and it shows up at eight fifty two, and it it's gonna get there at 8.52, 52 and it's like that was just normal. Hmm. That was like twenty years ago. I'm sure it's just as good, if not better, now. But you know, that you know, from a transit network, I would say it's fantastic. Also a really great bike city. I haven't been there in a long time, but uh, but I know from from a transportation standpoint it's great, it's also culturally really nice. Um, and then internationally, um, I mean, I lived in Copenhagen. That was a really great city, especially for biking. Certainly fantastic. I I love uh, Amsterdam. It's also really nice. I lived there for a few months. Uh, Definitely fantastic to bike there. Um, Interesting thing about those two very bike heavy cities is that, uh, and I'm telling you, you know, favorite cities from sort of a transportation angle, but uh, uh, interesting thing I would say about those two cities is that they have decent transit, but not amazing transit. Hmm. And there are other cities I've been to. Uh, you know, I'd say like Tokyo, for example. Uh, you know, a lot of Chinese cities now have just phenomenal transit because they're just so dense that you can't possibly drive anywhere. Um, and uh, you know, you can get anywhere super fast, super easy with transit. Um, and uh, you know, so I think it's it, it's kind of depends on the nature of the city as to well, kind of how you get around. But I, but I do think that cities that are more optimized for non-motorized transportation modes uh and also trans- transit uh tend to be uh more humane cities to live in like they, they tend to be like I, I don't know i mean it's it's in part um just makes for a friendlier streetscape
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know there's more like people out and uh, it's like you, you know it's just more human than uh cities that are car oriented because you get in your box you drive you know, however many miles you get to your big parking lot and then you go to your air-conditioned office space. And like, there's not really any like interaction on the street. You're just going from parking lot to parking lot from one enclosed space to another, and from one bubble to another. There's no like human connection in, in cities that are optimized around that kind of a landscape. And it becomes a very uh, hardscape kind of kind of environment. So um, also I think like when you're looking at non-motorized transit, you have to think of the vulnerable. And so you're constantly thinking of like, well, what about little kids? What about elderly? What about like, how do I make sure that somebody's not going to get, you know, hit by a car and, and killed, right? So there's a lot of intentionality there, and uh, especially when you're talking about biking, right? Because it's just a very vulnerable way to to move for me to be. Um, and then transit, I think, is also a very uh, equitable, uh, you know, because a lot of people are riding that because they can't afford to do anything else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a good Transit infrastructure it means that you're actually thinking about your population as a whole. You're actually like embracing everyone into your community, and you're not you're not disconnecting people and saying, "Well, if you can't afford a car, I guess you don't deserve to live here." Right. <laughs> and so, like, there's like a th- there is something I think about cities that do optimize for those kinds of uh, transportation options. That does kind of change the nature of you know, uh, uh, it's kind of connected to how those spaces, you know, how the people in those spaces really inter interrelate with one another. It's not just a functional, you know, A to B.
1: You know, it's funny that you mentioned about, like, going in your box and things like that. I remember in high school, I, like, came into school one day, and I was so frustrated, and my friends were like, what's going on, Elise? And I was like, we live in a box, and then we get in a box, and we yep. go to another box, and then we get back in the box, and then we go back to it. And I went on, like, this whole <laughs> spiel about it, and they were like, what? Uh, so it just brought back memories. But I actually, I wanted to transition the conversation a little bit into uh, communication styles that you have had to develop or learn how to use um, with yourself and with um, people oh. that are potential investors, things like that, um, with yourself in terms of like how to overcome any self-doubt because I think every entrepreneur has moments of self-doubt where they're like, oh man, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing this right? How's the best? Today doing or doing like it? in
2: general? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Today and in general. <laughs> yeah, let's it all in.
2: <laughs> Totally. I, I mean, yeah. I think uh, communication is definitely one of the biggest challenges I've had. I'm definitely by no means like a, a fantastic communicator. I would say uh, so. That's something I've I've really worked uh, probably the hardest on. It's just like how, how do I articulate what we're what we're doing? How do I communicate it? Uh, how do I make sure that it's clear whether you're managing people or trying to get someone excited about investing or mm-hmm. supporting you in some way, shape, or form? That's just sort of a, a a constant uh, thing that I think anybody I mean probably anyone really should be working on but especially if you're trying to build and start a company you're trying to do something like new and crazy and different that no one's done before and you have to communicate like what your vision is I mean that that's you know and and communicate it to a hundred different people in a hundred different ways sometimes a hundred times a day you know you're you're talking to the hardware guy in one hour and then like a podcast the, the next hour and then right after that you know you're dealing with, uh, I don't know, an insurance company or something. It was just, you're, you're constantly, actually, today just today, I had to, you know, we're trying to, like, finance cars, install hardware, talking to, to you guys, hiring people to, like, deliver our cars. Like, I'm literally doing all of those things in one day. <laughs> I have to, like, <laughs> communicate to all those different people, like, what we're doing and, like, why it's interesting and how they plug into that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, but, but sorry what was, what was the initial question? It was how do you oh. get over the the challenging
1: Well, it's going to be two parts. The self-doubt. Right. Like how do you talk to yourself like when you're experiencing those moments of self-doubt to kind of like snap out of it, but as well as how have you found um, effective ways to communicate excitement over something that you believe in that maybe the other people does, other people don't believe in hmm. or how to convince yeah. someone that this is something that's worth believing in?:
2: That's a good one. Great question. So I would say uh, on the self-doubt side, uh, I, again, I kind of come back to my wife, like she's just been a total champion in days that I'm just like breaking down in tears because like things aren't going the way I want them to and I'm just like, why am I doing this? <laughs> like, I don't even know if we can pay rent next month or whatever, like crisis is going on and like, you know, she's she's somehow managed to like kick me uh, through and there have been times when she's been the one who's like, pull the plug, like I'm done <laughs> um, for sure. So. There's, it definitely goes both ways but you know i think having a having a partner or a co-founder or, or someone that you can kind of like uh get support with is is super super helpful for those really hard moments um that would probably be the one thing i would say there and then on uh on the other side the other hand i mean i always say my biggest challenge is like has been um uh i tend to be very analytical and and very rational and not so emotional in my communication and so I have been trying to kind of throw in those more kind of emotional narratives and uh, connection points. And I think I found that those are usually where people, like if you're trying to convince someone to join you or convince someone to invest in you or, or whatever it is, uh, uh, speaking from the heart and from emotion tends to resonate better than, you know, here's the numbers, look they're up and to the right, or, you know, here's the, you know, rationale on why somebody should want to do this or, you know here's how much money they save or you know, all that stuff is great and, like you need that but uh, you know one story that really resonates with someone emotionally can can trump like 10 like you know excel spreadsheets of, of you know all the numbers you can put in front of someone that might convince them that that they should jump in
0: interesting and you know it, it it's interesting you keep bringing up your wife that she helped you out a lot and she was there for you and she was an amazing partner so a lot of the people that, you know, a lot of people who might be listening to this or just a lot of entrepreneurs, they're either married or they have a partner, they have a spouse, right? Someone that they're very close with. Did you have to have any, how, how do I say did you Did you have to have any difficult conversations? And in, this 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 includes maybe a co-founder, investors, or maybe even with your own spouse that, that maybe it, it was a difficult conversation, but you found a way to overcome it. So I want to know. What was a scenario and what techniques or mindset did you use to overcome Uh, that difficulty during your conversation that people can listen to and apply in their own lives?
2: I I don't know. I mean, um, I wish I could say that, you know, I've been a perfect communicator and and have all the the right answers. I mean, I would say like the points of inspiration I've had, not that I've been as good at using them as I would like to, but, you know, nonviolent communication, meditation, any of those kind of tools you can get are, are super, super helpful and worth your time. know there's certainly some podcasts that i i can recommend uh there's one called the the reboot podcast you might have heard of that's been really great um so yeah there are some resources out there uh you know i would say there's definitely definitely difficult conversations especially with a partner because uh you know your partner might not always (laughs) support you they might want you to stop doing what you're doing um they may may or may not be as entrepreneurial as you. Uh, in my case, they were more entrepreneurial and, and kind of kicked my butt in many ways. And then at the same time, you know, we had a baby a couple of years ago and that kind of changed the dynamics. And, like, you know, then it was a little less willingness to take risk and, and kind of been tired of, like, you know, trying to kind of get the ball. You know, it's it's not easy to start a company. Like, you know, we. it's not like you, you go to... Intel and you clock in at nine and clock out at five and you get your six figure check and you just like kind of go home and like you know it's more like how much can we pay ourselves this month <laughs> you know? um, are we going to have runway for how many more months like can we actually you know move to a new apartment uh, you know can we give ourselves a raise can we hire that new person like can we build this software we want to build like uh, there's been a lot of challenges like that and, and you know that, that just gets taxing I know some people are lucky and they just go and raise like millions of dollars straight out of the gate. And if yeah. you're one of those people and you can get like two or three million dollars on day one because you know you and three other buddies who used to work at Google, like go for it, man. Because like you're probably going to be able to clock in at nine and <laughs> clock out at five and still get your six figure check and like not worry about anything. That hasn't been my case, but uh, uh, you know, definitely, um, uh, you know, there are those challenging conversations. And I would say like whatever support network you can cobble together, whether that's your your partner, your, your husband or wife, or your uh, uh, business partner, or some, I had a really great um, advisor who was really instrumental in the early days, who I, I kind of think of as my uh, emotional support advisor. <laughs> <laughs> um, those days when I was just like breaking down, and like everything wasn't working, and I was like, oh my god, where, who do I turn to, because, you know, I don't know what to do, like, I would pick up the phone and call him, and he was like very calm and grounded and could kind of like talk me through and help me figure out how to solve those problems. And like, I don't know where you find those people, but like, if you have those people you can track down, like they're there and get them to support you. That's super, super helpful. Um, I mean, I would say like, you know, when you're building a company, it's like, you basically have to like get as many little tiny, tiny, resources you can cobble together and then like 10x every single one of those, like figure out how you can like, Oh, I got this one little thing. And if I do this other little thing now I can, you know, I can build on top of that and then I can build, it's like, you're always like ratcheting up and, um, and sometimes like, uh, you know, a lot of the, the biggest losses I, w- I, I would say I've had in the company are because you know, just didn't move fast enough. Somebody was like, Oh, I'm going to write you a angel investment check. And they were like, 100% gung-ho. You were like, wow, I'm going to get this amazing investor. They were like, everybody knows who's like a uh, guy who was the uh, founder of Google Shopping Express. He was going to put in like a $25,000 check. And he was like all about it. And he was like this super prominent angel investor. And he, he would have like, you know, now he, he was at Uber for a while. Now he's doing his own thing. Like super, super high caliber guy. And I was like, oh, this guy's totally going to invest. So I was like, oh, let me call. Like just check with my network. See if this guy is like legit, blah, blah, blah. And then I get back to him, like, a few days later, he's like, oh, like, now I cold feet, and then I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> So, like, you just never know when, like, those kinds of things, uh, uh, you know, whenever you see an opportunity, you have to just jump on it, because you don't know, it's, it's not like, oh, like, there's this opportunity, and if I wait on it for, you know, three days or 30 days, or, like, it'll be gone. And then as soon as you get that opportunity, you have to instantly be like, what can I do now? Like, oh, I have this person on board, they're fired up, they want to help me out, like, what, what can I then, like, you know, uh, do to, like, who can they introduce me to? Uh, how can they kind of help me to, to grow something? And you're always kind of taking, you're getting just these tiny little, like, like bits of, some, and then you're always, like, running up against walls. You know, I go to my finance partner yesterday, because we're growing like, like crazy, and I've got a demand for more cars. I go to my finance partner, he's like, you want what, you want more cars? Like 95% of our of our customers we support are rental car companies. They can't make their payments. And they're all trying to get rid of their cars and like defer their payments for the next 90 days. You wanna get more cars? I'm like, yeah, I want them now. I want them yesterday. Can <laughs> <laughs> I get like a bunch of cars? Like how fast can you get me cars? And he's like, I can't get you any because uh, we've frozen all of our accounts. They're not loaning anybody any money to buy cars. And so now I'm like, oh, crap, I thought I had, like, a six-figure line of credit to go buy whatever <laughs> cars I wanted, whatever I wanted. And I thought that i just pick up the phone, call you, boom, I got five cars in a week. And, like, no, that's not happening. Oh, shit, I have the 4th of July coming up in <laughs> the next week. Like, and I already have 70% of my cars are already booked. Like, what, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. I don't have an answer to that question yet. Mm-hmm. That's just, like, yesterday I literally discovered this. Now I'm like, oh, how do I do now? Like, where do I, I got to go, like, uh, now I'm just, like, you know, throwing hail marys everywhere, being like, all hey, right, go to the dealership. I go to this person who financed me before. I look at this pathway that I might not have looked at, or maybe I'll like just scrape something together to, to you know until the financing comes available again. You know, because he was talking to me and he's like, oh, I need you know, give it another thirty days, and we'll probably like you know, open up the financing lines again. I'm like, thirty days? Like I need that? <laughs> I don't need like, how can be thirty days? uh so uh yeah, so I mean there's there's uh there's always these challenges that you're gonna face though. You just have to be uh resourceful and scrappy and just like constantly trying to think of like how am I gonna like solve this problem today that i I'm, maybe I woke up this morning and didn't even know I had that problem, and <laughs> I gotta suddenly figure out like today I had a hardware problem, right I plugged in this new device to my car, I couldn't figure out how to just, like Connected. I'm not a hardware guy. I'm just like you know average Joe. Ultimately, trying to figure out how to like tinker with like you know different like car components and stuff, and like I, it's like it's not working. So I like, there's some. I'm like, who am I gonna contact? So I contact the people who sold me the device. Nobody's responding. I'm like, I need this figured out now because that car's gonna go out this weekend. I only have one key for it. If this thing doesn't work, and. Uh, 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 Then I got a booking comes in. They want that car tomorrow morning. I'm like, okay, now I don't have it until Saturday morning. until Friday morning to get this car online. and it's, like, 3 in the afternoon. I'm like, who the hell am I going to call? They're all in Belgium. They're not even awake right now. So I call, like, their 800 number, right? I get, like, the, you know, international 24-7 hotline. i was like, I've never done that before. I don't know. I'll, like, set up a support ticket. I'm like, that guy doesn't even know. They're not even going to know how to answer it. They'll get back to me a day or two from now, and then they'll go back and forth. a week before I get an answer my question. So I just look over like some email threads. I'm like, well the guy who put the thing into the box, like the key into the box and like hardwired it all up, like you must know how to do this. So I will pick up the phone, call the guy. He was in Nevada, just boom, like, hey, what's going on? Like spent an hour on the phone figuring out like how it works. Bam, now it's all set up and running. I'm like, all right, great, solved. On to the next problem. It's <laughs> just like constantly trying to figure out like, you know, you're you're just like banging your head against the wall like every day trying to figure out like how am I going to solve these problems and sometimes you don't know how you're going to solve them until you're literally like in the trenches and you're just like I gotta solve this problem that I didn't even know would be a problem and I gotta solve it now (laughs) so
1: I actually had a question based off of that because um I think a lot of entrepreneurs out there, they hear a lot of podcasts and they read a lot of books about keep going, keep trying, just it's gonna be hard, but keep doing it. But I think that there are some um, entrepreneurs and some businesses that there should be a point where they're like, okay, now it's time to stop. Now it's time to move on to a different venture. Where would you say, or like, what are some markers that you would say like, these are probably like, if you Mm. see these things happening, it's time to switch gears.
2: I mean, you you know, you have to ultimately see that people want what you're selling, right? So, you know, I always come back to like, is there, how are people responding to what you're offering? Like, what does that response look like? Um, and uh, uh, you know, and how how big is that response? How excited are people about it? How you know, and that could be you need to make some tweaks or it could be just like there isn't anything there. Like you don't actually know, or there is something there, but it's like not something you can execute on with today's technology or, you know, there's a whole bunch of different things. And like, it's kind of hard to, hard to pin it down to one thing, but I would say like, you know, you have to have the resources, whether it's money or team or whatever it is to like actually execute on your vision. You have to have the will (laughs) to get up every day and like, you know, drag yourself through the coals, (laughs) like every day to actually make it happen. And then like, um, uh, you, you know, and, and there has to be, like, people out there who want what you're, what you're offering, right? And so, um, you know, for for my part, I've always uh, – I studied anthropology in undergrad, and, like, I, I, I did uh, design strategy consulting with uh, large corporations both here and then uh, uh, governments in Copenhagen and stuff. And, um, you know, ultimately it kind of comes back to, like, really understanding what people want and trying to figure out how do I – solve their problem uh, you know it's it, it, in our case it's kind of a particularly interesting problem because we're trying to solve your problem as possible members uh, so that's looking at well what are you doing now like okay well if you're considering leasing a car like what are all your problems if you're not going to lease a car what are all your problems so you have to like figure out how do you solve all those problems then you have to figure out how do I communicate all those problems how do I you know, develop the pricing, develop the service model, develop the technology, develop, develop all the things that you need to do to uh, solve your problem. But then we have all these like, because we're like a physical asset company, we have all these other <laughs> things that we're trying to solve as well, right? Just like, how do we get more cars? How do we make sure that we're like keeping those cars moving and like making a profit on them? How do we um, uh, get like custom insurance and custom car financing? And like, you know, how do we just, physically structure the business in a way that makes sense, uh, which is, you know, in our case, can be fairly sophisticated and complex. Uh, uh, you know, there's, there's just, just like a hundred different things that we're solving all at once. And um, I, mean, I think in our case, like, we're, we're just, I just, I've been in this space long enough that I've seen literally every single thing I've worked on in the last 20 years, like get built by someone. <laughs> like whether it was like, bike share, Scooter share, ride share, peer-to-peer car share, uh, autonomous uh, ride share. Uh, I worked on like a, a bicycle delivery thing, uh, like cargo bicycle delivery service mm. that now like FedEx and UPS are doing something similar in Europe. Um, you know, I just worked on like so many different things at this point. I was just like, all right, well, this is just going to happen. I don't know if it's going to happen in a, you know, what, I, what has been different in my career has been... Sometimes it's happened a year after I started working and sometimes it's been like 10 or 20 years. <laughs> and I don't know like how long it'll be until it starts happening. But um, I do know that it, that it's, something like this will take off. And the other thing I don't know is like, can I figure out the right way to do it? Can I actually like, execute on that? Um, that? That's like just, uh, you know, that's just you as, a, as an entrepreneur. So, but, uh,
0: so you mentioned something interesting at the end. Where it's it's like you you know you've seen all this stuff happen and like you know it's gonna happen you just don't know the time yeah. frame and how and when so my question is actually a two parter is so the first one is what is the future for this company what are you trying to accomplish with Upshift and yeah. people who are listening what can they do to get involved with you or with the company and, sure and what is it that they can do to get involved so they win and you win like like what oh is totally it?
2: yeah. So, I mean, we're building the infrastructure for shared fleets, you know, uh, mobility as a service of the future, right? So, you think of shared, autonomous, connected, uh, uh, and electrified vehicles. Uh, those are all going to need to be stored somewhere, charged, connected, connected to the car, connected to the device, connected to the user experience. Um, And there's going to need to be some kind of fractional leasing or fractional car subscription service, right? Because uh, if you're using all these other things to get around the city, you're still going to want a car. And you're not going to want to park it in the city and just own one like we do now. Because parking costs are going to get more expensive. Parking in the city is just going to suck more and more. Um, There's just really no reason to do that. And so um, we're essentially... Building out the backbone of that that operational infrastructure uh, and really reinventing like, like what is a dealership when you don't own a car anymore? Right? Like you're we're basically a dealership.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But we don't have any of the constraints that a dealership has. We don't, we don't Like we're not like bound by any of the, the 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 weird legal stuff that comes along with being a dealer. We can put whatever car we want on our platform and we can price it however we want it. And, like we don't have any of those those constraints that they have but you know we're basically selling cars we're selling cars to people who don't want to buy cars which is kind of a crazy thing right so we're reinventing car financing and, you
1: and can then we're also the
2: reinventing like multiple
1: people
2: yeah we're selling the same car to multiple people and That's we cool. are right and so so why sell one car once when you can sell the same car to you know five people or ten people right so uh um and then we're figuring out like how how did the what are the predictive algorithms for that? How do the operations work? How do you actually distribute those vehicles in a seamless way? And I would say like all the companies that are doing it right now, like they're all struggling in so many different ways. I mean, that's why like Cargo pulled out of a bunch of cities recently. Um, now especially with COVID, like they're all just like do know what the hell to do because they can't keep the cars clean. So you see Zipcar doing like monthly car rental now. If you go on Zipcar right now, it'll say, like, do you want a car for the whole month? Take it. You want it three months, six months? Take it. We don't want to deal with it. It's yours. Wow. wow. Because they can't do hourly transactions anymore because nobody wants to get in a car that 20 other people have touched since you cleaned it last. Makes sense. And, it, and they're basically telling people, hey, you got to, like, wear a mask when you're in the car, and you got to bring your own disinfectant wipes. you got to spend 10 minutes wiping the car before and after you use it. Like nobody wants to do any of that. So they're, they're really hurting right now, and, uh, you know, the rental car companies are all hurting because nobody's flying in airplanes, and that's, like, all of their business. So, uh, you know, all the scooter companies are all shut down, you know, so there's a whole bunch of different problems there, but we obviously did not build this business with COVID in mind, but it turns out that getting a private vehicle all to yourself that's cleaned and disinfected and delivered right to your door is actually a pretty great <laughs> alternative to anything else when it comes to, you know, dealing with a pandemic. And because we have the technology in the car, you don't even need to interact with anybody. Uh, so it's all keyless, contactless uh, exchange. And then unlike a lease, you're not locked into three to five years contract. So if you don't know if you're gonna have a job in six months, uh, you're not, you know, you're just, it's just month to month. So you can do it as long as you want. If you want to do it uh, more, you know, you get a, a, your lifestyle changes you need more days, you just change your plan. So it's very flexible. In that regard. In terms of how people can get involved, I mean, you know, the obvious easy way is we're running a crowd financing campaign. Uh, and for as little as a hundred dollars you can invest in our company and you actually are a stakeholder or shareholder. Uh, the URL for that is republic.co backslash upshift. Uh, as of speaking now, we have over three hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars invested from over sixteen hundred people just like just like you guys, uh, who Uh, Have invested, you know, hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, you know, however much you want to put in, Um, and uh, uh, that's something you can do right now. That is a limited time offer, uh, currently running until the end of September. uh, TBD. Uh, We'll see if that gets extended or cut short or whatnot. But that is the the official uh, end date. Um, And then um, uh, other ways they can get involved. I mean, if you're, uh, you know, depending on what your what your background is, I mean, there's a whole bunch of different ways you can get involved. Uh, you know, we're always looking to hire. We are definitely uh, going to be hiring someone on operations and on marketing to, to join the team in the near future. Uh, and then, um, uh, what else? Uh, obviously, you could you could help us out on the concierge delivery side as well. Um, but yeah, and then then you know, if you if you depending on your background, maybe you have uh, uh, networks you can you can connect us to people you can connect us to in the industry uh, or different. Uh, ways you can support our, our vision of, uh, you know, really making our cities for people and reducing the need to own cars and the cars that people do share, uh, making them as green as possible.
1: I just wanted to ask like a quick technical question. Cause you said that it's a month to month thing, um, with the down payment, does that mean that down payment can last? Like let's say someone does this for like 10, 20 years, it's like one down payment. And then like or <laughs> in like- theory,
2: in theory, that is a loophole. I mean, right now we're, um, we are working on trying to figure out how how our pricing model is. You know, it's constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're actually working with uh, behavioral scientists right now to help mm-hmm. us to optimize our uh, pricing because there's so many things we can <clears throat> we can constantly change, right? We, days currently roll over indefinitely; they never expire. Well, maybe they should expire, or maybe they should expire on certain plans. Uh, there's currently no mileage cap, so maybe there should be some kind of mileage cap, or you could price by the mile, or you could. Uh, that uh, you could offer a different number of days. I mean, there's literally a hundred ways that you could, you know, frame it and still call it a fractional lease. Um, and you know we've you know we've tested a whole bunch of different things. I mean, literally just like the cool thing about this is that it's uh, given us like a tremendous amount of leeway to just be like, well let's see if this model works. Like let's see who that you know because the, the thing is like you'll you can probably attract someone to just about anything to like you know pay you money to do something. The uh, question is, like, who is it? And then, so first, first question is, like, who is it? Then it's like, well, what do they actually do once they actually sign up? And then, uh, uh, then how many of them are there? Right? Like, is this just like a one off random thing? And then the, 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 the other thing you find as soon as you develop a new pricing model is the loopholes. You'll immediately find, like, somebody will figure out some way to exploit, like, some loophole you never thought you had, and they'll, you know, start driving you into the ground on some something that you didn't think was there so like now you're like oh i guess i got to change that like <laughs> that doesn't work but uh, you know it's constantly uh, evolving right when we first launched it was 2 days 4 days and 6 days then we did 2 days 4 days and 8 days then we ramped it up then we cut the 2 days so we did 4 days 8 days and 12 days then we had people asking for more so we did 16 days we tried all these different um, different number of days Different kinds of packages, you know, unlimited weekends, unlimited midweek. I mean, there's there's so many different ways to do it, uh, you know. we're just, you know, constantly evolving and testing.
0: All right, awesome. We just have a last a couple last questions before we wrap up this this sure. interview. Um So, I, and I know this question is going to come up. So, I'm, uh, and I, we're going to get questions on this. So maybe you can answer this. So let's say someone invests in your, in your company on your Republic link, which is republic.co slash Upshift, correct? Correct. Republic.co slash Upship, guys. Uh, you also, there's a lot more information there where you can look at more information on, on everything Ezra's mentioned and so forth. Um, so let's say someone's like, okay, I'm interested and I'm gonna invest, let's say, $200. How do I make money in this investment? How long, like, because like, people who are new to angel investing probably, or people just investing in startup companies in general, they always want to know how, if I invest, because I'm interested and I want to help out a little bit at least, how yeah. will I be able to make money in the future and upshift? Like, how does that that work?
2: Right. Yeah, that's a great question. So, I would say, uh, you know, just like any any stock purchase, uh, you know, if you go on the you know stock exchange and, you know, invest in Google or whoever, like, there's no guaranteed return on your investment. It's mean, just the nature of, of this. This is, the, you know, and the earlier you invest, the higher the risk and the higher the return, right? So if you go to Google, like maybe you'll get 2X, 5X return. Obviously, if you invested something in the early stages, maybe you get a 10X or 100X return, right? Like you invested 200 bucks into Uber on day one, like that would be worth a lot of money right now, right? Yeah. Um, so, but you know, that being said, lots of early stage startups fail. And so there's every chance that whatever money you put in will not be returned to you. There's no guarantees at all, right? So I would say the first rule of thumb when it comes to angel investment, regardless of whether you have a little bit of money or a ton of money is you never invest more than you can afford to lose. Uh, you know, so, so think of it that way, that's the, the first thing. Um, the second thing is uh, investing companies who you want to succeed as much as the companies who you think will succeed, uh, because you're, you're ultimately uh, helping to enable them to succeed by investing, right? not just in terms of cash, But also, you know, there could be other things you could be doing in terms of promoting them or connecting them to other people or whatever it is, right? And so the likelihood of those companies succeeding is also directly correlated to who invests, how much they invest, what they invest. Um, and, And then the other thing is to, you know, you can obviously think of it as just like, I want this thing to exist in the world, and so I will, you know, put in resources to it, right? Like I invest in political campaigns. I'm not expecting to get, you know, a specific policy or, you know, 50 bucks back, <laughs> but I'm just like I want that person to be in office because I like what they stand for, right? And so I just want that to be a thing in the world. And like maybe they get in the office, maybe they don't, but I just want to support that to exist, right? So that's that's kind of how I would go into early stage investing. Um, obviously, you can also do your due diligence and think like, is there there there? Do I think there's a market? How big do I think the market is? Do I like the team? Do I like the what they're building? Um, you should obviously, like, read up on all that. That's all in the Republic campaign. You can even dig into the SEC Form C filings if you want to look at our financial statements. All that is all publicly available. Um, the um, In terms of just the, the nitty-gritty, um, I think there is a link on the Republic page you could, you could maybe put in the podcast of, like, how you get a specific return. But specifically, the way that it works is that, uh, you know, you put in your $100, $1,000, whatever it is, and uh, that basically will convert into equity once we have what's called a priced round. So right now we have a cap on, on the valuation of the company, which is currently $8 million. Uh, and so uh, the value of that, you know, let's say we go gangbusters and everybody realizes, oh my God, this is the next Uber. They value the company at 20 million, 50 million, whatever they value it at, you're still going to get your shares priced at a max of $8 million. Uh, so you'll you'll get essentially a discount there. Um, I think there's a discount on that as well, which I. I want to say is twenty percent. Yeah. Uh, so that's that also kind of goes in your favor, uh, and then uh, those shares will will essentially convert once it's priced by an institutional investor. And so when you're at an early stage, it's like you know how much is the company worth? Well, I think it's worth this. You think it's worth that. But ultimately, until uh, you get you know an increase in Horowitz or someone in there to say, look, I'm going to you know put a million dollars, two million dollars in, and I'm going to say this company is worth X because I'm a professional investor that's when you say, okay, well, now these shares are all going to convert at a certain valuation, and now they convert it 50 cents a share, a dollar a share, whatever they convert at. And then, uh, you know, you would be able to, at some point, you'd be able to, you know, either the company would get acquired, let's say, you know, Ford or Toyota or whoever buys the company, uh, or, you know, maybe we're the next Uber that goes public on on uh, a stock exchange somewhere, uh, and then you could sell your shares there. Uh, and then the, the, the third way, which is, Pretty interesting. I don't know if Republic is doing this, but I know some of the crowdfunding companies are doing this, and I expect they'll all be doing this at some point. Is a, a secondary market, so you could actually try trade shares within a, a, a private markets, mm. but basically like a private stock exchange where you can say, "Look, and I think they're." Don't quote me on this. I'm not an expert on this, but I, I, I believe you'd have to still hold the shares for like a year or something before you could start selling them. But there would be uh, there are there are ways that they're looking into finding ways to give investors liquidity uh, before the company is either acquired or goes public. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that that's something that's possible now, but I think it is sort of like on the roadmap of what these companies are having in mind.
0: So the, okay, so then just to clarify, so everyone can understand, because I I loved how you went through everything. Uh, But for those of you who probably didn't understand, so the way you can make your money, and you tell me if I'm right, Ezra, the way you can make a return on your $100, $1,000, $2,000, whatever amount of money you put in Upshift, if you you decide to, is either Upshift gets bought out by another company, like let's say Ford buys uh, Upshift, or Upshift goes into the stock market, right? I mean, of course, there is that third option. It's not so common, but the first two common ones are Either upshot gets bought out by that a one. bigger company by a huge number. Let's say six hundred million dollars. Let's say, right? Let's say that happens, or you go public, or, or the company goes to the stock exchange. Then your hundred dollars, because you're investing in upshit at an kind of at an earlier stage, it's valued right now at eight million dollars. Let's say they get bought out by six hundred million. I mean, we're not gonna do the math right, right, right now, but if you did a rough a rough estimate, you would probably take six hundred. Mill divided by eights, right, and yep. then times however much money you put, and then that's approximately maybe how much you might make. Yeah, Our I mean, podcast exactly. just
1: turned into a math lesson. Our
0: podcast just turned let's,
1: let's,
2: turn let's, into. Let's 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 keep it simple. You say, well, it's a you know, you invest at eight million, you sell at eighty million, you get a 10x return on your hundred dollars. Now you have thousand dollars in your
0: pocket. You there you go. I, I could have said. And so s- that's that's
2: the that's the, that's the that's the you know, and I think you're completely spot on, right? Either either upshift. Uh, it gets acquired, you know. In our case, most likely it's going to be, uh, you know, a car maker or maybe a rental car company, something like that. someone in the automotive space. There's some others too, um, but uh, and then uh, uh, the other is, of course, if you if you really go big, you know, you're on the New York Stock Exchange, publicly traded company, and you know, everybody knows your name. You know? Those are those are basically the two pathways. Um, so obviously it's a lot more common that companies get acquired yeah. uh, because typically it's much larger companies that get on the stock exchange, but, um, you know, that's that, that's basically how it works.
0: All right. Ed, you, do you have any last question?
1: Uh, no, this was great. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to teach our listeners a little bit about entrepreneurship and upshift and your journey. And I know I've learned a lot and we really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
2: Sure. Thank you for the opportunity. And, uh, you know, if people have questions, they can also post questions on the Republic campaign page. Yeah, where there's, can like, they find you? Section.
0: Where can they find you and where can people contact you?
2: Uh, a great question. Uh, my personal email, at ezra.upshiftcars.com. You can just shoot me an email. Uh, but, uh, yeah, if you have questions about the investment specifically, uh, please direct those to the Republic campaign page because there's, like, SEC regulations, right? You know, it's, like, insider trading if you, like, directly communicate with me. So, uh, that, the discussion section on the Republic page is really for that so that everybody can see what the answers are and whatever question you might
0: have. All right. Awesome. We really appreciate everything you spoke. You spoken so many interesting nuggets. Aliza and I are definitely going to go back and re-listen to this podcast. And all of you who are listening, we really appreciate you listening to this information. Please re-listen to the episode. If you have any questions, reach out to us. If we can't answer the questions, we'll definitely guide you to uh, Ezra. He can answer your questions directly. And guys, please do not forget to like, comment, and share this podcast, this video. We really appreciate you guys. And of course, till next time.